Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. So, we're in the middle of, uh, not really in the middle, because uh, we only just started last week. But we want to consider this uh, idea of who we are and what we do. And I started last week, and I want to start the same this week. If, if someone asked you what you valued, or what it was that gave you a sense of direction and purpose, what it was that you held on to, or what it was that helped you make decisions about your life, would you be able to answer them with any sense of clarity? Would you be able to answer with a sense of um, boldness and strength uh, about um, who you are and what you do? If someone says, why is that important to you? Would you be able to say why that might be important to you? Uh, so for instance, if you have a high uh, value on family, you might make small decisions along the way about what family looks like. So it might be important to you, if family is important to you, you're going to construct uh, a way in which you do that. So it might be that we sit down to the dinner table and we're sharing a meal together. Um, it might be that we catch up one-on-one as parents and children. We catch up and we actually sit down and talk about what's happening. If, if you value uh, your marriage, you'll put effort into that and you'll, you'll want to know why you value that and you'll put things in place to highlight the value of your marriage. If you value your health and your health is one of the values that you hold, then we might make small decisions along the way to help us live that value out. You might do some exercise or you you know when an exercise is you know often when we hear word this is a bit of a diversion for you uh we hear word exercise and people feel violently ill um i'm not talking about exercise in terms of going to the gym necessarily and pumping up big weights exercise might be you know i know i need to get healthy or i value my health so i choose to go for a half hour walk every day um or a couple of times a week whatever it might be our values speak about the decisions that we want to make and how we go about uh, living those out. And this is just as true uh, for a community as it is for the individual. So as the Horsham Church of Christ, and many of us who have been around for a while would know this, and I'm sure you might even be sick about hearing it, but I think it's important to communicate uh, on a regular basis, and you hear it throughout the year, and Faye mentioned it as well. Our vision is to quite simply be transforming our community in the name of Jesus nothing terribly professional or dynamic about that uh, but we believe Jesus transforms lives we believe that Jesus transforms I believe Jesus transforms my life has transformed my life is in the process of transforming my life and I believe that wherever I am as part of a community so our community now becomes wherever Margaret goes so we partner with Margaret in saying um, I can't remember where she's going I'm sorry South Sudan I can't remember the name of the village, Nagashot. Um, that's our community now. We're not just saying our community in Horsham, but we actually want to say our community, wherever we're a part of, wherever we're connected to, wherever we're partnering, is our community. So Nagashot now becomes our community because we partner with Margaret and Margaret's there. Our community is where you might be living. So a great portion of us uh, as followers of Jesus connected to the Horsham Church of Christ might live in Horsham. But our community is also Brim Payne. Our community is Minyat Matoa. Our community is Halls Gap. Our community is uh, Dimbula. 
Uh, Glen Lee even is our community. Uh, how's that? I remembered that. That's um, so. Uh, and please don't be offended if I've forgotten where you live. That's not the point. Our community is wherever followers of Jesus are and exist, and we're seeking to bring light into that. But as the same as I spoke about in terms of knowing who we are and what we do as individuals, that's just as important as a community. What are the things that we value? What are the things that we want to hold on to? And what are the things that are going to help us make decisions about who we are and what we do in the days, the weeks, the months and the years ahead? Um, And it all comes out of a a pretty simple... Oh, sorry, not really, not there yet. Uh, Transforming our community in the name of Jesus because we believe that Jesus is for me, for you and for us. And it comes out of this really simple text... A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we need to understand, firstly, this is not just about what we do. This is firstly about who we are. And you'll say, but Simon, that is a very clear instruction about what to do now. Jesus is telling us to do something. Yeah, take a step back. It starts because... Jesus first says, as I have loved you. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you're aware of it. I don't know if you live under this, but you are loved. You might not always feel loved by the people around you. You might not always feel loved by the colleagues that you're around. You might not even feel loved sometimes in your family. But Jesus clearly says to his followers, as I have loved you. In other words, I have loved you. I will love you. I am loving you. That is an absolute given. Regardless of your story, regardless of what's happening in your life, even right now, you are loved by Jesus. That's the first thing we need to come to. This is about who we are. This is about who we are before it is about what we do. And so Jesus, because of the love that we've known in Jesus, he sends his followers out. He goes, now, you've seen my example, you've seen my witness. Now you, you go and do likewise, wherever you are, whatever you do. And this, the world will know that you're my disciples. See, I don't think it's very complicated. (laughs) We make it a whole lot more complicated than it needs to be. But to love people deeply and richly, authentically, courageously, generously, that's the invitation from Jesus. And in many ways, we don't need to add to it. So last week... Uh, we looked at uh, the value of um, what it looks like to be present. And we unpacked this idea of how do I grow in my relationship with Jesus? What decision did you make last week after you heard that message? What was one thing that you did differently last week? Did you find a quiet space to sit aside and take five to ten minutes just to sit and wait for God? Did you open your scriptures maybe? Did you journal? Did you sit more intentionally and deliberately in prayer? What was one thing that we did last week because of something that we heard or was awakened within us. And my hope is the same last week as it was today as it is for every other day that we gather together as we might take one thing because this sometimes is like a whole big meal, a smorgasbord, and we can't possibly eat everything. Some of us have a pretty good crack at it. But essentially, all we need to do maybe is make one decision today. That decision for you might be, I want to declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour. 
That decision might be, yes, I've already made that, that declaration, but actually I'm not living my life very engaged with the person or the spirit of Jesus. I need to do something about that. Well, that one decision might be, actually, I need to become more authentic and alive in my faith. One decision can change your whole life. And this isn't a decision just for that person over there. This isn't just a decision for that person who hasn't heard about Jesus. And we hope if you haven't heard about Jesus or if you're new here that you might make one decision. But this is a new decision or a decision for anyone who is sitting amongst us. Regardless of our story, regardless of our faith, what's one thing that I can do differently that would awaken the Spirit of God in me today? So last week we spoke about being present. Um, and being present uh, positions our hearts so that we gain the perspective of God, preparing ourselves for the Father's purposes. And we understood and we unpacked this idea that it's about being present both in uh, silence and solitude, as well as being present in our speech and in community. We can't hold those two things apart. We need to take the time to draw away as well as take the time to gather together. We need to take the, take the time to quiet our spirits and our mouths as well as take the time to speak and declare and worship. And so this week we want to look at the idea of what it means to be authentic. Now, uh, this is a bit of a buzzword in society at the moment, particularly around sporty clubs. It's one of those values um, that seems a little bit intangible, seems a little bit hard to grasp, grasp a handle on it, uh, but it's something that you know when you experience it. It's something that you know when you're in the midst of it and you go, oh, that's it. It's something that when you feel it, you go, oh, that's what I've been looking for and longing for, this sense of being alive and awakened because everyone's on the same page, everyone's up front, everyone's honest, everyone's heading to the same kind of place and looking out for the same objectives. You know when it's happened, but it can be a little bit difficult to describe. Footy clubs talk about uh, a more sense, a heightened sense of trust, uh, a sense of honesty within their group a sense of accountability, a sense of being able to go out and back each other, not just on the footy field, but also um, in their daily lives. And it's about looking out for each other uh, along their daily lives as well. So it has become uh, a bit of a buzzword. But I actually want to say authenticity is about more than backing each other on a field. It's about more than being genuine. It's about more than being honest. It's about more than speaking truth. And I hope that by the end of it, we'll understand what that looks like and how we can express it and maybe even have one question or one decision in our mind that we'll go out and pursue in this week in our desire to be more authentic in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And we need to hear this really clearly, really clearly, because many, many conversations we have uh, with people, and you might have them with one another as well, Many people will say, oh yes, I'm talking to God about that. And they kind of live in this own little world of speaking with God and uh, wrestling it out with God. Great concept. Except again, we're meant to hold it between solitude and community. The relationship with God and what God speaks into us is not meant to be in isolation or exclusion from what it looks like in community. Now, the other side of that is we can be so busy in community and getting so many ideas and so many voices in community and hearing so many things, we don't actually stop enough to actually listen for the voice of the Spirit. 
These relationships are not in isolation or exclusion to each other in being present or authentic or in any way, shape or form, but they must be held together. You follow me? So I want to take us um, into the story of Paul a a little bit. Now, Paul was one of the early church planters. Uh, He was actually... Uh, If you don't know the story of Paul, he was Saul. He'd been out breathing murderous threats, we're told in scriptures, against the early Christian. He was a guy, he'd go out, he'd just received permission from the governor, uh, the leader of the time, the emperor, to go out and persecute the Christians, drag them out of their homes, put them in prison, when he had this incredible encounter with the Lord, uh, and he became Paul, uh, one of the great early church planters, one of the great movements uh, of the early time. Paul wrote something like 75% of the New Testament. So this dynamic shift, if you don't ever believe that God can do something with your life, regardless of what you've done, you think about all the terrible things you've done, you need to go and read the story of Paul because, man, there's a story of God turning a life around. There's one church that Paul planted in uh, Corinth, Um, And what was happening in the early first century after Jesus is this tension between what people knew uh, of their culture uh, as well as the Jewish people trying to hold on to their culture and their tradition and their heritage and their values as well as then um, this gospel, this good news that had come in and seeking to just uh, in so many ways uh, bring about the kingdom and change the way that people thought about their life. And so people were responding dynamically to this and powerfully. There was still tension between the Greek people who, well, this is what it needs to look like and how do we make this work? If I believe this person in Jesus now, what does that mean for my life and how do I make that and how do I express that? And the Jews over here were coming in and saying, well, this is what it means to be a a follower of God. You have to follow all my rules, all these rules, all these regulations. All the boys have to be circumcised. Um, and, And Paul kind of had this explosion of the church and in the first letter to the Corinthians, don't jump ahead of me and start reading that text, Um, in the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, Paul was actually addressing some of these issues. I mean, this was a church, man, if you think we have some hassles in the local church today, you want to read this letter. I mean, there was was incest, there was... um, there was uh, sexual immorality without going to do too much detail about that wa- what that was. There was people taking each other to court who professed to be followers of Jesus and what that looked like and how that gets expressed. Um, there was people exercising uh, unjust authority over others and there was people who not listening to their authority. They were arguing over who was the authority because some were baptised by Paul, some were baptised by Apollos, uh, another disciple, another early church plant. I mean, the church was an absolute shambles in the midst of this is the jewish people going well this is what it looks like this isn't church because you're not following these rules and so paul in the first letter to the corinthians absolutely goes to town just whack 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 all over the place grow up mature this is not who you're meant to be and it must have worked because now you can start reading this he says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, uh, this is how he responds when he sees some change. You get a hint that there must have been some change amongst the church in Corinth. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. 
Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Now, get this and understand this. If this is all you take away today and it revolutionises your life or changes the way that you view the world or how you express life, that would be an absolute win. Verse 10 there, Godly sorrow brings repentance, that is a change of mind, a change of behaviour, a change of attitude. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. When we encounter the Spirit of God, when we're confronted with the Spirit of God because we know our behaviour is... And it's not about um, making God angry as much as not living up to what God has planted within us. As much as how God sees us to be. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. So here's the thing, this might be where we get stuck sometimes. We get so stuck in who was right and who was wrong. And Paul is able to say, you know what, that's not the bigger issue here. The bigger issue actually is that you come to understand who you are in Jesus. That's my biggest heart for you. When I first went into uh, student ministry or ministry training uh, in 1994, uh, that makes me sound... Yeah, anyway. Uh, who can remember 1994? Oh, there's a few. Okay, that's good. Um, so I first went into ministry training and one of the, uh, the tasks that you're given is to go into student ministry. And I was given the task of going into the student ministry and creating... Uh, a youth ministry uh, in a local church called, the, at that time, was the Greensboro Church of Christ. Um, and, uh, and when I say uh, start youth ministry, it was start youth ministry. Like, they, they hadn't been a youth group, uh, they didn't know what to do with the youth, all, all sorts of um, things and questions were being raised. And that was after, when they come and speak to you, they say, what's your preference about serving in a local church? And I said, not youth ministry. So then they put you in youth ministry and they say, start youth ministry. Okay, so uh, we started working with leaders. Uh, I valued the sense of developing leaders and raising up leaders. Our first youth group night, we had six leaders and one youth. <laughs> it went on from there, so that was good. But I remember this one particular night, um, <clears throat> we'd set up all these structures and systems and ways to re- encourage leaders uh, and I was still learning, I've got to, you know, you've got to know that and acknowledge that and that's not to justify anything that's about to come after this. When anyone says, I was still learning, your alarm bells are going off, yeah? You know, something's about to go down here. Um, so, uh, it's not terror. well, I'll just tell the story. Um, we, we rocked up, ready for, ready for youth group <clears throat> and uh, the, the person responsible for leading that night and facilitating that night uh, didn't rock up. Uh, was a few minutes late. Now, anyone who knows me uh, knows that I hate being late. 
Um, I'm not a fan of, you know, I know things happen, but people being late just for the sake of being late, I don't know, just, I'll leave that there. Um, it's, it's not one of my favourite things in life. Uh, I know that other people don't operate by times. I've had to learn, you know, we go with the flow a little bit. I hope I'm more relaxed than I was in 1994 and 1995. Um, but sometimes, uh, so this youth leader didn't show up on time. And I'm not, I'm not talking two to three minutes. I'm talking like 30 to 45 minutes late. So you can imagine my calm levels were not that calm. Um, now here's, what I learned about that night too is that I also neglected to take responsibility for that night. Because what I should have done, and on reflection what I could have done was actually say, right, we're going to create something else and we'll let the, the leader catch up when they get here. But instead of that, I wanted to demonstrate to him the sense of responsibility and accountability and ownership. So I just sat around, I said, I don't know what's going on. And we just sat around, I don't, I don't even know what happened, I don't know how many kids were there that night. And when, he, when, the, when the leader got there, I, I, I let him have it. I told him it wasn't good enough, I told him it was unacceptable, I told him how much he let us down, I told him how much he let the kids down, I told him this is not how we do it, it's not how we operate. I probably took another 30 to 45 minutes out of that Friday, it wasn't that bad, but you know, and I walk, as I think about that, I feel actually sick telling the story even. It was a horrible encounter. Now, we need to understand this, I, th- I think there's something here, we need to, what, what I'm trying to say in this is that I may have been right, it might have been poor form. I might have been right. It's not how we wanted to operate. I may have been right because it's not what we agreed to even. But I lacked authenticity because I wasn't willing to sit down and find out what happened to him and what was his story and what was happening in his life. Thanks, Damien. See, authenticity, I think, is expressed in this way. Authenticity presses into relationship more than needing to be right or prove a point, inviting us to be vulnerable with one another, revealing and calling out the truth of who we are in Jesus. Now that can be really difficult sometimes, especially if we're dealing with people who are not followers of Jesus. That can be really difficult to see Jesus and call out the person of Jesus in that, to- in that person. But I think that's what authenticity actually calls us to. Sometimes we've got to call out bad behaviour. Sometimes we've got to call out challenging behaviour. Sometimes we've got to call out challenging behaviour in us. See, I think what Paul demonstrates to us in the letter to Corinthians is that every now and then we need someone else to speak into our lives and speak about who we're called to be and who we're not demonstrating to be. And every now and then we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we need God to speak in our lives and show us the areas in our life that aren't reflecting His glory. Man, and I didn't reflect God's glory when I went through that youth leader that night. See, sometimes we can be so determined about proving the point or getting justice or making it right that we miss the relationship. And I think authenticity puts relationship at the forefront of our lives. And it's a really difficult concept to grasp. Because the other flip side of this is that every now and then we miss the point and we hold offence. We keep the offence or how we've been offended in our spirits, in our hearts. And I hear it, I don't, 
and you would hear it. I've heard it in footy clubs. I've heard it in volunteer organisations. I've heard it in marriages. I've heard it in workplaces. I've heard it in friendships. Oh, they never let me. I was never listened to. And that generally means I didn't get what I want. Not all the time, but generally. Oh, that person did this to me and you know, I can never go back, I can never do that. We never sit down and talk about what's actually happening here. And I, I appreciate there's some of us sitting here today that this is really difficult because some of our situations don't always allow us to do this. But we've got to value relationship over above being right. Jesus and the disciples were walking along uh, the pathway, the road somewhere in between a couple of cities as they often did. Uh, and when Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, um, who do people say I am? And there's answers going all over the place. And there's, there's John the Baptist and some say Elijah and some say prophet. And I can imagine as they're walking, they're just walking casually. And as they walk and then Jesus just kind of stops and he kind of takes a moment just to turn around and look at them and you know, kind of eye them all in the eye. And he says, what about you? And I think that's a great witness to us about how we actually live out the person of Jesus because we can point a lot of fingers all the time. And every now and then we've got to stop and have Jesus speak in our hearts and our minds and our spirits and say, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter jumps in. Thanks, Damien. Peter jumps in uh, and, he, and he says, uh, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father in heaven. I mean, can you imagine how chuffed Peter would have felt hearing that? <laughs> Wouldn't you feel chuffed hearing that? <laughs> I got something right! Woo! And Jesus goes on to talk about Peter and, you know, I'm going to do great things. I'm going to build my church in you and through you. I'm going to do some fantastic things. And then within the blink of an eye, as the story goes, Jesus is telling his followers that he's about to go up to Jerusalem to be crucified. And then Peter starts, you know what? That's never going to happen, Jesus. That's not who we are. That's not what we're fighting for. That's not the revolution I signed up for. That's not right. And Jesus, I imagine, stops again, thanks Damien, and gives this word to Peter. Oh, we've already heard this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Do you feel the knife in your heart? You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, I'm not advocating, and please, if you're having a difficult relationship, I'm not advocating, and I don't want you to hear that authentic relationships are not going out and calling people Satan. Do not. Do not do that. But I think we learn something here about the way that Jesus spoke to Peter. And if you just hang with me here, all right? Are you ready for it? What Jesus doesn't do is take away Peter's blessing. What Jesus doesn't do 
is say to Peter, you're no longer part of our, my church, you're no longer part of my plans. He calls out poor behaviour, he calls out lack of attention, he calls out disobedience and he speaks really clearly into it. Let me put it another way. What Jesus says to Peter, it says, Peter, this is not who you are and it's not who I am. So work out, Peter, if you're leading or if you're following. And this is part of the struggle that a lot of us have. Are we leading or are we following? Are we seeking to lead Jesus in the way that we think we want to be led or are we willing to surrender and submit our very lives, our homes, our finances, our businesses, our marriages, our friendships, our workplaces to the person of Jesus? Our churches, as if it was ever ours. To surrender it to the plans and the purposes of Jesus. See, I think authenticity values the relationship that well that we're able to call out when bad behaviour takes place. And not that it devalues the person, and this is the challenge. It doesn't devalue the person, but it speaks life and truth and reminds them about who we are and what we're shooting for. I don't, know, I don't know if school children still hear it, but <clears throat> um, when I was uh, teaching CRE in schools, I'd occasionally hear about uh, children learning five safe people. Who are the five safe people? Just one for each finger, about who they can go and talk to. If they feel unsafe, can they go and speak to a teacher? Who's a parent? Who's a relative? Uh, the policeman? Someone in authority? Five safe people. And you know what? As I think as we get older... We lose sight of that and I think it would be a good thing to remember. Who are the five safe people that you and I could go and talk to? Or who are the five safe people that when we hear something, when they speak into our lives, that we're actually prepared to stop and listen? Because you know what we can't do anymore as followers of Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you can... You can, quite frankly, go and do what you like. You don't have to pay any attention to this part. You know what we can't do anymore as followers of Jesus? We can no longer just say, that's just the way that we are. Because that's a lie of Satan. And we need to take a step back and get in behind Jesus. Who are the five safe people? That when they speak into your life, you're actually going to stop and it's going to hurt. Paul even acknowledged that when he wrote to the church, I understand, friends, I hurt you. I disappointed you. You probably didn't want to talk to me again. I understand all that, but I'm glad for what it brings out. I'm glad for the fruit that it brings out. Have you got one or two people that you go and meet with and have a coffee with and say, hey, I'm struggling with this or I want you to point out the things in my life that don't reflect the heart of the Father? What's your life group like? Are you able in a life group to be able to sit and look each other in the eye and go... What are you talking about? That's just way out of the heart of the Father. Of the Father. What do you mean that's how you responded? That's, that's not the person God called you to be. Or even if you haven't responded, you know, let's remember who we are in Jesus. You know, let's, let's bring prayer. Let's not gossip about those people, but let's, let's pray for them. Let's, who are the four or five people that we've got in our Maybe we even need to go and see some counselling to to deal with some stuff because 
we just know in our heart of hearts and our spirits that we're not living authentic lives. We're not living lives that reflect the heartbeat of Jesus. In John chapter 8, <clears throat> Jesus says to the Jews who believed him, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth being Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And if we know Jesus, then we're meant to be walking in freedom. They, the Jews answered Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Thanks, mate. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants and yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. See, I think free lives, free lives brings freedom for God's word. And at times that might be sitting in solitude and seeking out the heart of the Father and seeking his spirit and asking him to speak in our lives. And at other times that's going to have other people speaking truth in our lives and we're going to be uncomfortable. Everything about us is going to tense up and rise up. But if we go away and think about it and bring it back before the Father, we're going to realise there's something that God wants to deal with us. And not to make us feel bad and not make us feel terrible and not make us feel like losers but to actually see us become more of who he has meant us to be. Remembering, thanks Damien, that Jesus is for you, that Jesus is for me, and that Jesus is for us. So the truth about authentic relationships is that it always leads to new life and it always leads to freedom. Am I willing to surrender my expectations Am I willing to surrender control? Am I willing to surrender how I think sh things should happen so I can discover true freedom in Christ? Am I willing to surrender my blame? Am I willing to surrender my past? Am I willing to surrender my, my present? Am I willing to surrender what I'm seeking to control? Am I willing to surrender the hurt of how others might have spoken to me and ignored the truth that they might have pointed out? Because even if people disappoint us or if they say it's badly, we might have to go and examine a piece of truth in that. And that might be the discovery of authentic life, in authentic relationship with one another. So when we participate in this way of life, when we remind this, when we do this in our marriages, when we do this in our, in our homes, when we do this with our children, when we do this in the, in the church, when we do this um, in life groups, it transforms us. It changes us. We take on the image of Jesus. And this is the greatest gift that we can give to the world. When we remember that Jesus is for you, he's for me, he's for us. Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. I want to thank you for your heart for us. I want to thank you for the promises that you have to uh, make us more in your image every day. Father, forgive us when we, when we hold on to things, when we point to things of the past as to why we're not stepping into your future. When we don't listen to one another, 
when we don't hear your heart through listening to one another. Father, grant us the humility to live in authentic relationship with you so that we might hear what you want to speak into us today. That you would encourage the discouraged, that you would give hope to the hopeless, that your love would be expressed and made known to the unlovable. Holy Spirit, we know that this can be difficult. We know that we can struggle with this and we know at times we've done this badly, I've done this badly. But we want to step into an authentic, life-filled, love-filled life with you, knowing that we are your children, that you have first loved us. Holy Spirit, minister your grace and your peace and your wisdom to us in this moment and in the days to come. In the name of Jesus, amen.